Friends, welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we look at movies we love. Break them apart, brother. To find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my hypnotist, Tiger King co-host. Alex Dandino. <laughs> come, yeah. baby. Come, come, baby. And there's slow pushings on both of us as our romance flowers. <laughs> Neither here nor there before that. A little business. All right, guys. It's official. The Film Alchemists have made it to Patreon. Uh, so that is patreon.com slash film alchemist pod. Uh, you can go over there and for as little as a dollar a month, you can join our Patreon community. We have uh, a Discord. We got a lot of Zoom and social calls. And for a little bit more than that, guys, per tier, you can begin to select the exact movies you want me and Alex to cover. An entire curated patrons-only library as chosen by you, our patrons. So for those of you who already support us, thank you. You know how much it means to us. We love you. That's right. And for those of us who are about to support us, thank you in advance guys please uh something you can do to help us out for free take a second leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show we got two new ones this week they're very nice they did we actually I, I love when we get nice ones man uh every now and again you'll get a bad one but we get mostly nice ones so thank you guys for those of you who left those reviews those were great um guys for free five stars sentence or two helps us fight the algorithmic overlord on uh, the Apple Podcast Express. Uh, we're going to take them down. We're going to hypnotize them into chicken brains and then dominate them for the rest of their days. All right, go to YouTube. Subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist. You can find video versions of most of our pods there, along with some other fun content we be cooking up. A lot of pirate today. A lot of pirate. All right, email the show, Film too Alchemist Pod. Way too much. Never too much pirate. Always go full you pirate. You sure about that? Um, Ah, you can email that show wow. <laughs> at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials you're on. We're there, too. We're very easy to get a hold of. We love to hear from you guys. Oh, True. right. That's enough business. Today, we finish our vacation to early 2000s Japan. This month was actually curated by one of our Highlanders over on our Patreon uh, so this this month's curation came to us from Anthony Dyson, for those of us in the know. Uh, this is The Pod Visits Early 2000 Japan. So we have uh, we have done the myriad fandoms that collapsed into verses. We have uh, lactated and faced down the cow's head in uh, Gozu. And we've had a somber reflection on a life of violence we've and crime. We've had our sojourn to L.A. to run the Yakuza. Yeah. That's right. So we've had a very interesting gamut. I think Dyson saved one of the greatest for last. Uh, tonight we are talking about Survive Style Plus Five. How to best summarize this film? It is. Have you ever seen five very... different movies at once? This that's that's what it is. <laughs> well, you know Let what just it struck cut in me here. as? It was absolutely a '90s indie. Yes, but with the the extreme sensibilities of the early 2000s japan right so this yeah. is i four maybe five vignettes smashed together that occasionally will meander past yeah. each other i texted you in the middle of watching this i'm like oh this is like go this is yeah. like supposed to be like the japanese version of go essentially like japanese like the sensibilities of all the movies we've been watching combined with 
go. That I was like, okay, well, why not? Let's do it. Yeah, and I, I think the bonus that something like Survive Style Plus Five has is it. I I love the ability of the Japanese movies of this era to just absolutely explode any possible constraint that you think may exist yeah. on a narrative film. Right? Agreed. There is. It is an impossibility, it feels like, to get your feet underneath you in this film. You can never quite tell where the surreal ends and the real begins. It is vibrant and energetic, and there is real passion on the screen. And you are just watching images that are so strange, but played so deadly serious, that it almost feels like you're uh, you're getting forbidden knowledge, as I've said a couple times this month. Um, I adore movies like this i i call them they're they're the oddity films right they're the the shaggy dog i think josh and stuckman said right or struckman said uh they're shaggy dog films it's how does this movie get made and sadly this movie can almost never get made here mm-hmm. alex opening thoughts on survive style plus five i mean it's in, like this movie does get made here a lot however not nearly <laughs> It, the, the, sorry, like this version, like this version right. of this movie would never get made in America. <laughs> but like the the vignetting and like the interwoven story, that kind of thing happens a lot in uh, that happens a lot in American storytelling. What's interesting is like, and again, I think you're nail on the head exactly the way to put it as far as the way this month has worked is this is the perfect movie to end on because we've seen so many weird things in these movies. For it to all be sort of conjoined into what is, I think, a decidedly American con- concept of like um, vignetting and that kind of storytelling, but done from the perspective of Japanese um, filmmaking is that is a very fascinating thing to me. Like that whole concept is the way this has worked out is just so, so that is it works for me on this one. Like that particular concept works for me for it to take all the weird and combine them into these smaller stories all um, all, or even the Vinnie Jones stuff, which is sort of this unifying factor in the whole thing. Like we'll get to it, but like the Vinnie Jones thing is such a weird thing and such an oddity. And you're like, this feels out of place. And yet it's absolutely in theme and in character with how this movie is rolling. It's so strange. Yeah. And there are so many vignette films, right, throughout history. There are a lot of anthology films that are just several shorts put together so they could, you know, make feature money. Or you saw this a lot in indie films, right? We've got some actors. We've got some pages. These aren't really a script. They don't really have this conjoining story. But if we capture a mood, right, we can we can paint the mood of teenage angst, right? Where are we as teenagers, over many shorter versions, right? So you don't have to worry about all the the narrative hangups of, you know, delivering an entire feature-length narrative story. And you can paint a mood, right? And I think what this film does is it paints a mood, right? Because there are, there are other Asian vignette films that are really popular. I just watched um, Chungking Express. Oh, yeah. And that one, that one plays more subtle, right? That's more of an actual world with real characters. What I love about this one, and again, the the title of the movie is a little abstract, right? <laughs> but I think what it gets at is it 
I don't, it's, it's this take on you just watch all of these various people. And I think this gets back to the Benny Jones unifying factor is he is us as the Western audience. Yes. Right. Looking and saying, what is your purpose? Cause I think a lot of this month has been, and again, I love that Dyson selected these movies because I always love these movies that you're just, we just would not have gotten to this film. Right. If no, not, for I, his I can selection. tell you, I can guarantee there's not a single theme we would have come up with, a single curation where <laughs> we would have wound up watching this movie. I watched we the only version of this movie we were able to find. It was on YouTube, right? You watched the one on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I watched the one on YouTube. Like, it was an English dubbed version, but that was the only place I could find it on the fucking internet. Like, that to me. But, and not only that, we kept talking about this. It has 46,000 views. Yeah. 46,000 views. Now, granted, some of those could be people who like clicked it on and clicked it off, but they clicked it on first. And they, like, this is not something you just happen upon by accident. This isn't like a Google search, like a cursory, like Jaws or bird <laughs> movies. And like this movie fucking comes up like not like people find this fucking movie. And it's a really important that it's, it's interesting that I've had that has that kind of views on YouTube. Well, I like the idea that it's this sought out thing. And once you find it, you totally. enter this insanely strange journey. And the movie starts right away, right? So we see this man burying a woman, right? We're kind of frozen on this this man. And this woman is in this comically large grave, right? Like you would bury King Kong, right? The 1930s King Kong would fit in this grave. And there's this very small petite woman in there in a blue dress. And I, I just had this immediate vibe. I was like, wow, this is almost like the start of a, a Lynch or early Coen Brothers flick. That's what kind of shot we're doing. Right. There's a bug crawling on like the the placid dead skin, right? And then all of a sudden her cheek twitches. And the guy just gets in and boom, boom, boom. And like we cut to this kind of raucous title card. And you're like, oh, God. Like it's just jarring. Like, what are we doing? Those title cards, too. (laughs) It was like, that was the part was like, this is very American. Like those title cards are just like, this feels so like of the era. Like, it feels like a 90s, like, like not even, like, this movie was made in 2004, like, or came out in 2004, but this feels like the way, like, people intro credit, like, fucking movies in 99 to 2000. Like, it was a very stylized intro, but, again, it's almost like it's doing a pastiche of these kinds of movies, like, I thought about it, and I was like, this is a really fascinating way for people to, like... For a Japanese audience to be like, this is how Americans make movies. They just like have these random <laughs> stories that randomly intersect with one another. Like, isn't it much better when movies have like weird lactating ladies and like some other like you know weird like they are. It's a really spoiler alert. They it's, are. It, the, the, honestly, <laughs> there's there's so much about it that felt like a that felt like a not a dig. I wouldn't say that, but almost like a callback to American audiences being like, what is this movie? What is this? trope of like movies that are like five movies in one it it was this very strange thing but those credits were the ones i was like this is very pointed very specific well because i forgot actually before the credits we actually smashed the corpse's brain in yeah go back home to this insanely shot house right with these weird we'll get to the house and uh, the infinite amount of milks and this and that he sees the woman he just killed spits the milk out now we're into the journey. So it's even weirder than I had told you. Um, I think there is a weird 
American injection in this film, right? Like when we first come back from the credits, I believe we're in the van with uh, our van bros who yeah. I really don't understand why they're in this story. It's a weird story to have. It's kind of yeah. a one beat joke that does pay off in a nice way. But any the guy in the back is wearing a Brett Favre jersey. There's a lot of American songs in this. Um, Adding Vinnie Jones in, right? Uh, The fact that the Japanese Tiger King show is called, uh, what was it, Viva Amigos? Yes, I think. Um, Yeah, so it had a, a Latin name, right? So I was like, there's a lot of cultural clash in this. And I think this gets to this. I think there's a sense in this film, right? That this film really captures the the tininess of every character, how small we all feel, mm-hmm. and how enormously we all have to struggle with that. And so you take that universal struggle, right? This ad executive who can't get heard, this ad CEO whose wife is driving him nuts, this other guy who's like, yeah, maybe I'll kill my wife. Right. The family man is like, I got tickets, but, you know, I'm still getting laughed at because I'm a broke joke. These are all very relatable, universal concepts. Right. And so you add in this. There's always something that feels off in every single frame, but it feels universal. It gives the audience a helpless feeling. We are unable to reconcile the two. Thus, we are left floating in the void. And the movie utilizes that as a weapon against us. I agree. There's um. There's not a lot. There's also like a, not a lot of the filmmaking in the movie feels um, like any of the other Japanese movies we've watched. Like there are the camera moves, the way the movie is shot entirely feels very much like a Western audience filmed film. Like we just got we got to talk about this house that the guy who kills his wife lives in. It has an. I don't know if you got this, but it had a natural born killers vibe to me. This movie, the color in fl- kind of energy and style. The color energy, I could say, like, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, The house was like, I don't know. The house was kind of like this weird, like, it was, it actually it reminded me a lot of, like, French movies, like um, mm-hmm. like Amelie. Like, the color palette in the house particularly reminded me of, like, Amelie. Yeah. No, that that's like, absolutely true. There is super some, saturated. Some nether realm thing with the house, right? So let's go through our stories real quick, right? So we've got the husband and his undying wife that he keeps trying to kill. Yes. We've got our two hitmen. Mm-hmm. We've got our marketing executive lady with the talk boy. Right. We've got Japanese Tiger King, Van Bros, and the family story, <laughs> Japanese right? Japanese Tiger King. Yeah, and then we've got a couple <laughs> other ancillary characters who creep in, right? Right. Now, I think if I'm being 100% honest, you could take the Van Bros, throw them out. Right. Yeah. Not it's just a joke that although it lands, it's not it doesn't feel like they do anything in the story. It takes way too long. They do have, I guess, in a weird way, they do represent an element of why we what is our purpose for living right is because they find true unrequited love. Um, The marketing lady really adds nothing to me. The marketing lady story is essentially there so they can show us these weird buffoonish commercials. Yeah. Well, there's Um, this like. To me, all the stuff with the ad, ex- all the stuff with the advertisers felt like it's interesting is like Vinnie Jones whole thing feels like the frame story because he's seen throughout. But I actually the first time we went into the boardroom and did that whole thing, I actually thought that was like 
I thought the movie itself was actually this stuff that the board was put was pitching. Like I was very ah, the very beginning it was very confusing. Okay. Like, is this the frame device? Because like I don't know if I don't know if you've seen that movie, uh, movie forty three, mm-hmm. but they have like the framing device for the American version is that Dennis Quaid is like pitching a movie and he pitches like all these terrible ideas for movies. So I was like, is that the bit is like, all of this is like, I'm like, are all these supposed to be ads in some way? Like, are we going to get, cause I was like, are we going to get to the end and like fucking the guy killing his wife's like an ad for Mentos, the fresh maker or some shit. Like <laughs> I, when, when, when that started, I thought that was I'm like that. Oh, this makes sense. Now this is like a framing device. This whole thing is, these are all stories that that what they're doing is making this sort of like they're making this horrible like they're like they're making this camel movie but they're commenting on making the camel movie while they make it yeah and there is there is a strange cuz this is the thing the the van bros at least makes sense by the end of the film right the movie makes two huge blunders to me which i don't quite understand which is the ending of our man continually killing his wife which i say we'll hold off on that till the end because that's the best story so we'll probably do a lot on that right um and the woman who's the marketing advertiser i don't know what to make of her by the end right so she's this woman who's tired of constantly fighting these board rent boardrooms of suited men right right they don't understand her creativity but then all they show us is that her creativity yields dog shit and then she thumps the Tiger King and mocks his uh, speedy release, if you will. And he mocks her again. She chooses that he needs to die. So because she is struggling with these relationships with men, she has him killed on live TV, if we're to believe that really happened. Right. Um, what am I supposed to take from her addition to this story? And at the end, she just can't get her talk boy because the uh, ever wo- ever more wounded girl is saying, uh, listening to her ideas played back that are even worse. Um, that one really threw me for a loop. I had no idea why that was in the story. Yeah, I I mean, look, the, the, this is a really important thing about Survive Style Plus Five in a lot of ways is um, <laughs> um, to me there's no rhyme or reason for most of this. Like none of these, none of these necessarily pan out. Like they pan, like the three guys, they pan out as the joke. Like, I think that's a really important thing is like, but it's not just a joke. It has a beat of fulfilling that Vinny Jones question. Right. Well, and what is she fulfill? But see, like, that's the thing. I think that's a really fascinating thing. The Vinny Jones question. So like, what is your, you know, what is your, um, what is your function function in in life? life? Yeah. What's your function in life? The Vinny Jones thing for me didn't hit until honestly the very end like then like the ending i think is the part that i'm like got it all of this makes sense now like every single piece of this is starting to <laughs> that make that is sense. a weird way to walk away from this film. <laughs> i know like and i think that's really i think that's the strength of the movie itself is like i spent the entire movie just like with one eyebrow arch going what the fuck is this movie like yeah. but really what it ends up being is all these people eventually find a function, so to speak. It's peculiar. And I'm not saying the function necessarily works 
from a logical perspective, but like ultimately that is, that is the thing that I like. That is the thing that I think I came to and appreciate the most about the movie is like that question by every single character, good or not was answered. And that's, that's pretty thing. rare. I think the marketing lady's the only one who didn't, unless her function is to show us that she's so lost in her other world that she's become disconnected, which is very weird for a movie this surreal to judge a character right. uh, for being disconnected, right? So, again, and just to wrap up, the Van Bros essentially do the same joke 15 times, right? Which is, the man with the bad teeth is in love with his friend Jay. And they do these, oh, like they have a moment where it's about to be revealed, right? Through some tidbit that is dropped. Right. Slow push in on both with the, Come, baby, come, baby. The come, baby song, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the end, it is revealed when Vinnie Jones uses a, a slur against him for being a homosexual man. Mm -hmm. And his friend Jay jumps in front of the tiny knives because for some reason, Vinnie Jones kills with very small swords, right? Very and we find out that he took, he took the sword and he's like, are you one of them too? And he's like, no, I'm not. Then he goes, I am gay. And they look at each other, and we know that we're hoping that Jay survives so that there can be a love story. At the end, we see them pushing each other in a wheelchair. Love is fulfilled, right? They have found a function. They have found love out of this relationship. That's good. I would argue the marketing lady never does. But let's look at maybe the strangest story of the film, right? Which is the chicken dad. Yes. Now, this is classic why I love this era of Japanese films. And a lot of Asian cinema in general, because they are so much better than us, I think, on average, right? It taking something so fucking bizarre and surreal and really grounding it yeah. in reality, right? Like, this is a, like, when I watched Swiss Army Man, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, that felt like it should have been a Japanese movie, right, to me. Because that's the kind of thing that they just do better than us. And so... Chicken Dad is the story of a man who works a job where it seems like he's not making very good money. He works all day. He comes home. You even hear him at one point. He's like, you know what? Fuck school, man. I worked hard for these tickets. I want to see my family have a great day. Right. And when he's on his way to that TV studio, you hear him rocking out to the punk music. Yeah. Oh, no, dude. They have like a full blown like, you know. They have a whole full-blown headbanger. They're uh, Wayne's Wayne, World. Again. Wayne's World sesh, yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's great, man. And you I feel loved good it. for him until he gets on that fucking stage and everyone's dunking on him, including his fucking daughter, man. And so this is where that meets the road, right? Because the idea of a man who is hypnotized into being a chicken, who is then stuck that way because the hypnotist gets killed by yet another tiny sword, and he just exists as a chicken now in the life of this family. Right. But we go back and just watch this family still do family stuff. That's why this works, man. But I want to ask you this. What did you make of, I think there's some really good storytelling going on in the bit when he's dragged onto the Tiger King stage. Right. Right? Because it feels like now that he's on that stage, right? He's given this gift to his family, right? Yeah. Even his daughter's the one who's like, we're broke. And you watch the audience and the reaction of his family and the audience is this man is just pulled back and forth and just used as this fucking play thing for attention. What did you make of this segment? I mean, to me, it's like this. 
It's almost like it's like the ultimate. I mean, like you're saying, it's like the ultimate dunk on. Like that's like the thing that sucks is like he worked. He was so he's so proud. They do the headbang sesh. They're having such a great time getting there. He gets on stage and like everybody is so shitty to him, including the Tiger King. Like everybody thinks everybody thinks less of him. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's in, so he gets then he gets hypnotized, and I was thinking about this after watching and I'm like, you know, what's great is like, I think the, yeah, like he has the best story by far, but not necessarily because it's like the weirdest or the most interesting. I think he has the best story because he's the one who performs his function the best in life. He lives his best life because everyone who wanted something from him, everyone who wanted something from him constantly talked down to him about how shitty he was at providing the thing they wanted from him. And now all he has to do is be a chicken. It's literally the proliferation of the best parts about like being who just being of functioning is all he has to do. And all he can do is be a chicken. So now all these people want something else from him, like turn my dad back, make my dad a person again. Like why he's now fulfilling his greatest life's purpose, which is to just be a chicken. Like that not is, only that, right? The medical doctors are like, why would we fix him? He's worth more like this, which is really fucked up. Uh, you see this bit where, but he's the moment he's frozen as a chicken. Mm-hmm. The audience is laughing, right? Oh yeah, they're really into it. There is this. There's even a thing as the hypnotist is dying, and she's like, "Fix my dad," and he's I like, "Can't, I can't," Sorry. and he smiles. There is this weird. Now he has become this usable commodity, right? Yes. Now he's become art on the kindergarten wall. Totally. And what I think is really cool is this leads to my favorite bit of the movie, right? Which is him and his kid. And his kid's just like, you know, a lot of kids made fun of me when I said, because he's on the roof, which is a really sinister way of letting us know how normalized this behavior has become, where they're like, dad's on the roof and could die. And they're like, eh, he's on the roof like five times a day. No big deal. So dad does fall, right? And as he's laying there, they're kind of crying like, oh my God, this is a lot. What if he had gotten hurt? He just starts clucking again. Well, this is when the kid lays it out, right? Like, I told kids. And, yeah, they made fun of me. They fucking made fun of me, of course. Right. And, you know, but one kid didn't. One kid said he's like a superhero, right? So then we cut to this this hill, right? Right. And it's just this kid teaching their dad to fly, man. And the dad just can't pull it off. Right. He's just rolling down this hill. But the kid, the kid says the line of the movie to me, which is, you know, dad's being a bird or not is just perspective. And it's dad's changing. Everything's changing. It's okay. And just there is a a scene, too. This is probably the only scene since the van where and even the van is all of them. But it's just this really small, intimate moment. And all of us who have kids, we know that one moment, right? You get caught in this game with your kid doing whatever it is, right? Peekaboo or, you know, you're just wrestling or, you know, kissing their neck till they laugh, whatever it is. Right. And the whole fucking world disappears and it's just you and them and it's that pure happiness, right? That's the moment you're living for. And I thought that moment captured in the middle of this fucking surreal assault on your mind. This is the survive style is that you find the thing that's worth living for. Right. And you keep going. And I I think maybe the undead wife scene really hammers that home in a different way. But this moment to me was so earnest in the midst of how strange that story was that it just it it meant the world to me. I love that moment in this film. I'm 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you can say for a lot of these kinds of a lot of these movies this month, but particularly this movie is like within the strange. There's so much great, so much great like just beats of earnestness and happiness, and like I think that's what's really fascinating about these sort of stranger movies we've watched is that within them contained within all the weird complexities and strangeness is there like the earnestness that comes through in a lot of these bits within these movies is so meaningful beyond comprehension. I think beyond anything we could have ever imagined them to be like, they become so much more meaningful And that one. I think that one particularly. Yeah, I agree. One, I, I had a long day today. I came home and literally just like held my kid for like, five minutes because it was just like yeah i need that yeah right and that's i think that's the thing right there's some and in that moment too that was the other moment so the dad chicken is laying there block 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 but when the daughter says that about like you know he's dead he's still dead he's a different dad now right and the movie gives you the opportunity right if you're an audience member who's drowning in this film just think of it as a guy who had a mental breakdown yeah that he was offered the chance to win a million yen. He stands up, seemingly fine. He turns around, and his family's like, we did it, we're rich. And then he starts clucking. And it is this fucking sinister undercutting of, oh, God, they were so excited about the money that maybe this man finally cracked. And he's just like, you know what? I don't want to give that to you. You don't appreciate what we have enough. Totally. I did this show, man. We got on stage, and that shouldn't be what matters. You're going to think about the money, not what I did. And maybe in that moment, he just has a fucking full mental collapse, right? And so as she says those words, or his, his kid says those words, right? This one single tear rolls out of dad's eyes. He's still in there, John Malkovich style somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was amazing because we had just finished the the mom served a chicken or a turkey and he saw himself in the oven being fried and roasted, (laughs) (laughs) which is just amazing. But also you can still read that as part of the mental breakdown if you want. In that to me, the strangest films that work to me are the ones that have that foundation that you can build those images off of, right? Right. This is just a family that was rocked by a dad who collapses, right? Yeah. Now by magic or by stresses. I mean what's interesting it's fascinating. though. But what's interesting though is like Yeah, by the stress like in an American movie, this would be like the dad is catatonic or some shit. Like mm-hmm. I think that's a really important part about why survive style works, particularly this beat, because we accept the absurd and we accept the absurd because the earnest comes with it. Like in any, this is like, this is an American, in in any American movie, this is one, that's the whole movie right there. But then this dad is like catatonic or he's locked away. Like the story's not about the dad's sort of breakdown, but also like suffering of life. This is about like everyone else's reaction to it. Like it's well, rich. you remember Igby goes down, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Rich family. Dad has a mental breakdown. He just goes, I feel an immense weight. He's in the shower. He's hurt himself. And now we watch his family struggling with these nihilistic views of the world. That's how we do this movie usually. Yes. And that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what American audiences would expect. And that's exactly what American audiences would get. What's interesting about this is to get. What I think is 
obviously a very fantastical thing. Mm-hmm. But really, it's like we've seen movies like this work before. Like this is exactly how office space works. This is just much more absurdist. And I think that's a really fascinating and really important thing about why this is the story that'll carry you through the rest of the movie. Cause then like you get to the guy who kills his wife, like that, that ending is like, again, like I said, that ending actually really works for me. It shouldn't because it's so beyond like, it's just, that is the part you're just like, this is like so fantastical and bizarre, but like the guy who kills his wife repeatedly jumps out of a window and you're like, Oh shit. Like he's just like, he's like, so in like he figures out at the end, he's so in love with this woman. He's like, I'm just gonna have to do it myself and then fucking this guy swoops in the dad as a chicken swoops in and catches him <laughs> bird dad yeah the bird dad flies the flies him away and they fucking you know to i i think it's beck doing gloria Gaynor. see i thought it was cake i think it's but Beck, but i don't know it's one either. of those indie guys who plays a guitar and <laughs> an accordion and a um you know I don't know, whiz, slide whistle at the same time. But either way. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but what he does, right, is he flies around and they wave at all the other people surviving. Everybody. Um. Now, again, I have umbrage with this finale, the way they shoot it and the, the characters that are doing what, because it doesn't add up in my mind. Right. Um. But again, I think this this chicken man also highlighted something that was strange for me is that in a lot of our films, we do this way. It's very rare to see the the male dad character constantly being emasculated, right? Yeah. Is that there is this, he's no longer a provider. Now he's just a fucking chicken. Well, it's just so and much then, less. It's so much, it's so much more tragic in American movies. Like for men to be emasculated, it's a very weird thing, but men being emasculated in American movies is seen as this great tragedy. Like yeah. we're always like, it's the put upon man. It's this very specific trope is very specific story we see in american movies this is literally oh it's death of a salesman man it's baked yeah, into it's our minds hardcore <laughs> willie loman like ever like this has been part of american cinema american plays since yeah arthur miller so like for it to for this to be what it is is such an inverse of that it's not at all like you yeah. I, I i i don't feel bad for the dad the dad's living his best life well, and it's also, it's constant, right? So the guy can't kill his wife. The hitman can't kill his wife. She's whooping his ass. Uh, you know, the wife is calling all the time, and the man has to stop his CEO job to answer her calls. Uh, you know, the woman gets the Tiger King killed and makes fun of how f- bad he is at fucking. Right. And I was like, I Dude. think that's one of those things that, like, would drive my dad nuts, but not necessarily. Like, I conceded long ago that, my wife is just better than me at everything and it's fine, but it is one of those things I see. And it's, it does still make me laugh. Cause I just was raised in such like a hyper masculine environment. Right. That when I see it in movies like this, it, it does make me chuckle, man. And imagine like, cause that, that's the thing I've really enjoyed about this month of uh, these early 2000 Japanese films is I like to imagine my brother watching them and just squirming. Right. He's just like, <laughs> this doesn't feel right. I don't yeah. like you. And I, I, I fucking like feeling uncomfortable when I watch movies. I like trying to like keep up. All right. Enough about Bird Dad. I love Bird Dad. I would, I would soar on the skies on Bird Dad's back. We all would. We have to talk about the resurrection, con- the Evil Dead wife, right? Right. But not Evil Dead. She's like, 
Well, this is okay. So let's set up this frame, right? So he kills her a bunch. Oh, and she comes back and whoops his ass a bunch. There's so many visual elements that are telling us a lot. We need to get to the core of this. So before we dive in on kind of a breakdown of this, do you think he hired the hitman to kill his wife? No. No. Do you think he killed his wife? Yes. Do you think he did it on purpose? The first time? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you think that he's actually re-killing her all the time? No. Okay, so this that that's pretty much where I am. Except for I do wonder if he hired the hitman once. Right? So you, you think this is a exercise in guilt maybe i think this is a man who cannot escape what he's done right and i i actually i don't agree with the hitman because i think the way it ends lets us know that he knows where she's buried right right this this feels very much like a drug addict story right that this is a man who is not lucid enough he cannot have a grip on reality and he's struggling with this battle for morality. Right. Right? Because it seems pretty straightforward, right? She just keeps whooping his ass, right? The first thing we see, he comes back, he spits the milk. He eats this fucking feast, right? They do a time jump. We don't acknowledge at all that she's made, you know, 15 hours worth of cooked food. And that he just eats it all. She dumps 50 fucking sugars in his coffee. Yeah. I don't know what to make of this. And then we just cut to kick in the face. Just kick in the face. Oh, wait. Okay. So one more thing before we start breaking down bit by bit. Why is this the thing that is the interstitial with the family? Because they don't cross cut between a lot of the stories. But it feels like every time there's a fight for this man, they intercut it with a scene of the, the chicken family. I don't Did know. Did you notice that? I did, and I wondered because I wonder if it was because of a color palette thing. Because like none of the others, none of the other segments look this way except for the family's house and their house. Those are both very saturated Technicolor thing. So I didn't know if it was mainly just like an editing thing, but I'm yeah. not sure thematically that there wasn't a lot of story in just the fistfights. So they wanted to, because my my conspiratorial mind right is that. What if this was the man's fantasy, right? That he's yeah, see, like, this I gets could back to this gets back to what I <laughs> this gets back to the confusion I had when we started the movie. Yeah. So there's like this was like when we watched the when we moved to uh what is it? When we moved to the um exec board. Yeah. That's what this is exactly what I was like. This all is this that's what I thought I was like, these have gotta be now this was the thing. I thought the movie was setting us up that the exec was going to be the old man version of this guy who kept killing his wife. Right. And that those phantom phone calls were his imagination having taken new form. Right. So walk me through what you were thinking as you see this first insane fight, the buffet that he's eating and not exploding the, the sugar in the coffee, like 50 fucking sugar. Is it diabetic? I'm like, <gasps> I'm like running for a shot as I'm watching it. Those, um, uh, I don't know. The eggs engrossed me out, though. Yeah, it did, right? But it's, this is the thing, right? It's such a, why set off 
such an absurdist tone that fast, right? Because they're clearly telling... Now, this is the other thing. Do you... She exists incorporeally, right? Because is this a fight club where he's whooping his own ass? No. No, I don't think that. I mean... Because I wondered... Because I don't know if you caught this, right? You remember the shot of his rearview mirror with the little dangly dolls? Yes. Those dolls all look like her from the various shots. They're all wearing the same outfit she is in one of her resurrections. Right. So I don't know if this is some totem of she made those for him. And so now he's imagining her vengeful spirit coming back as her little creations that he sees all the time in his car. Right? Walk, just walk me through your opening thoughts on some of what's happening here. I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I thought the whole thing was just supposed to be sort of a... It was like revenge fantasy plus kung fu pastiche. Because, like, those fight scenes, like the slow-mo stuff and all that kind of thing, like, that reminded me of, like, Sonny Chiba movies. Is Sonny Chiba the exec board president, by the way? Was he really? Was that Sonny Chiba? I couldn't tell. Let me see. I'll have to look that up. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I gleaned. <laughs> not sure I gleaned much, to be honest with you. Like, for me, it was much more about, like, for me, it ended up being about a guy who, I don't know, like, he just kept killing his wife, and then for some reason, after, like... It was Sonny Chiba was the ad exactly. Really? Fuck, Good wow. pull. Man, yeah. He looks okay. so goddamn professional, I didn't recognize him. So... I don't know. Like to me, it ends up being about this, like it's almost love versus lust for me. It, it kind of ended up being like this fight stuff, like the fighting and the cooking, all of that is like precursor to sex stuff. Like, I mean, like you and I have been married a long time and I think you and I both know, you know, if you cook a good meal, you can definitely get, get an F session. I, so, my wife who has seen me eat at a buffet, disagrees <laughs> well that's a buffet i'm not saying you go to country town buffet i'm just saying and- if i was gonna get the fucking wop by just crushing fondue fountains yeah i'm not saying you I, go to- I would be racking i'm not up. saying you're going to home country buffet and then going home and beating cheeks i'm saying like well that's what it sounded like you're saying and i was like if I said, only i could live in this surreal fantasy that you inhabit apparently <laughs> no like you cook a good meal like i mean here's the other thing too it's like She's cutting that uh, prime rib, I think, the roast she makes. She's cutting that, like, all morning. It's very weird. Like, there's a cut. and then, It's like, just, like, eight hours later, yeah. Eight hours Daylight. later, she's still cutting the same piece of meat. <laughs> um, but it's this weird sort of... Um, it's just this kind of weird thing where I was just like, I don't... I'm not saying, like, it's not a buffet thing. Like, if you... It just, like, it all felt vaguely sexual to me. Like, all of this was, like, mid... Like, pre-coitus... Even the fighting. There is a sexual element to the. Well, I don't. Have you ever heard of ultimate surrender? Don't Google it if you're not into weird. Well, like you notice how like at the end of every you notice how at the end of every like section, like every single thing that I'm not. Did I just out myself? Oh, shit. (laughs) You notice at the end of every single section, like where she like, you know, like he she cooks for him or he buries her and all these other things. He's always taking a smoke afterwards he's always about to take a smoke tell me that's i kind of was like is this supposed to be like this is the sex to me that was illustrating that 
he was not really constantly re-killing her, right? And again, this could just be clunky storytelling, but let's imagine, right? Because that was something I was struck by, right? So he buries this lady, bashes her fucking head in. When he comes in and sits on the couch and just has a smoke, you're like, good Lord. That is shockingly casual for what just happened. You just got your adrenaline through the roof and bashed this lady's fucking head in in your King Kong-sized grave. True. Climbed out, came home, and you just are sitting and having a smoke. And they're doing these fucking angles, right? Now, this is something they shoot this the, the start of this story in a lot, where the camera is almost looks like it's barely above floor level. Right. And everything's really tall and strange angles, weird colors. It has a paranormal activity effect where you're scanning, right? You feel uncomfortable, like something much larger is looming over this man, right? That something is going to pounce down on him, right? It's like a predatory shot to me. Right. At the end, when she's gone, quote unquote, now everything is way above him. So he looks smaller. Everything looks, you know, it's easier to see in a way. It looks more like a kind of ghostly, like, ah, the spirit floating away shot. So I think these subtle turns tell us a lot, right? The cigarette to me was, it's too casual for him to be re-killing her. The meals and the outfits, I was like, oh, he's reliving all of these things with her at once, right? So that's every meal she'd ever made for him right that's all the scoops of sugar she'd put in his 50 cups of coffee that she used to give him every morning right right so i think that's some of what was happening there again certain things like when she levitates down from the ceiling cool beat but it doesn't quite add up with what i'm talking about when she attacks him in the bathtub cool beat but it doesn't add up with what i'm talking about it does let us know that these are fantasies of his right because when he sits up, he's on the tub has a hard floor. He's not underwater. She's not there. Um, there was a question I was going to ask. When he wakes up next to her and he has the broken wine bottle, and this was when she's in bed just hammering in his, his ass with, like, fist blows, right? Right. Like, she was, like, 1999 Tito Ortiz just <laughs> pummeling him from ground and pound. And then we cut to the next morning, and she's laying in that chair. And there's a broken wine bottle there. And it's a very somber scene right in the middle of that, right? And he takes her to that bathtub and he saws her up. And the sound effect is horrifying. Terrifying. And to your point, if you rewatch it, that feels like the colors are pretty flushed out, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's just high light. It's morning. There's sunlight in here. It's not this kind of neon fever dream. Not neon, but you know what I mean? Like high vibrancy. Saturated. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We're not Nas anymore. And it's very somber. And the fucking sound effect of that saw. I mean, it, it felt like it was like rattling my fucking spine. Right? It's like, uh, uh. Absolutely. And then he takes her out and buries her again. And this is not the last time we see her. No. But it is the last time we see her before she has her uh, Whoville turn. Do you think that's how it happened? Yes. Do you think that's the real murder? Yeah, I guess it could be. I mean, like, that would make more sense because that's the only one that's different than the others. All the other ones she shows back up as herself, like, there's, and just, like, pissed. But there's no other difference to it. Yeah. That's the only one that has a different result. And I thought maybe because in the scene before she had shot her arms like rockets, that was him reimagining that he had sawed her up. 
So I was like, maybe that in the middle, it starts surreal with the levitation homes and this and that. Um, but maybe that was the real death. Maybe that was the real first kill. That would make sense. I, I can I can I can get on board with that theory. Yeah. Yeah, and that's okay. So let's assume that's true. Then does he go to the hitman because he's delirious? Oh no! I think he goes to the hitman because he realizes he's fulfilled his function. But how does he? He doesn't know about the function thing until. Oh, he's sorry, there. sorry, hitman. Sorry, Vinny Jones feels like a hitman, so I'm just constantly like. Right. <laughs> so why is he in the hitman's office now? My one thought was: Is he delirious and he thinks she's really there, so he asks for help? Or did he actually hire them and he comes back out of guilt? And so we just see these two scenes out of order. Because at the end, do you think that picture is really hanging on the wall of his dead wife? No. Uh, well. It's weird that he would inject them into his fantasy if he has nothing to do with them. Man, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe. No, it's not real. Maybe it's not. See, like, this is the hard part about movies like this. Like, when they're vignetted like that, I constantly go back and forth about what is a dream and what is not. Or what is real and what is not. Again, I know we talk about this ad nauseum on this pod. But, like, this movie particularly really plays with what's real and what's not. Like, I I don't know, to be honest with you. I could, I could make an argument both ways. Because when the hitmen show up and she sees them and backs up, she still somewhat has that emotionless face. I think it's that remember that classic film experiment where there's just like the mustache guy's face and they show a burning house and he looks sad and they show kids laughing and he looks happy. And it's the same frame over and over. Right. I think that's the effect we see. And when they walk in, we see her now like the camera's a little higher from Benny Jones's perspective. We project fear on her face. I don't think she's playing it that way. And he comes home and she's just on the couch. Right. And that's one of those weird beats, too, where she never left the front door. She was sitting there waiting on him to come back. They come back instead, right? And he's really nervous around the the bad comedy cop. <laughs> so maybe there's a bit of maybe that's what really happened. Maybe he did hire the hitman. But then why does he imagine it as a nicer death than it was? At the end, he sees all the knives in her back. As she's smiling, and that's the picture they have. He's running down the impossibly long hallway. There's just something strange that I never quite connected those two storylines. I mean, it's... I don't know. Like, I guess you could also think about... You could also make the... Man, I don't know. You could also make the argument that, like, the whole thing is just make an argument the whole thing is just a fagazi so to speak like the whole thing is just so weird and contrived and a lot of it makes no sense that ultimately it could just be this guy racked with guilt over just a dead woman it might not even be his girlfriend or his wife now like, okay so here's a really weird wrinkle in this maybe he is the hitman himself maybe the hitman he is shows up with a gift for him sees the lady in the background wants to come in and he's like no you can't 
tries to shut them out. They get in anyways. This is when we do the shining shot, right? Mm-hmm. The impossible architecture of this house. Right. The impossibly long blue hallway. And then they stab her in the back and laugh and get their photo. I think what they're telling us in that moment is that the hitmen were involved. And maybe the sawing scene after New Year's, maybe that's when he just decided it was over between them. He saw her the night before as a New Year's Eve party demon. And the next day he started, you know, taking little bits of her piece by piece in his own kind of emotional way. He calls the hitman and now he's racked with guilt because the thing we see right before that beat, right before the hitman show up is my favorite part of this story, which is the Christmas house, which is baffling. I guess that's kind of a repeated phrase this month. So this is baffling. He walks in. There's a fucking massive Christmas tree that he didn't put up. Right. There's a reindeer. And then there's a giant stocking that explodes into his wife in the weirdest Whoville outfit. And in almost a moment of respite for us, the audience, he laughs at her in her face. This woman he's killed 10 times already. And he goes, what an outfit. They share a fucking laugh together. And they're kind of hanging out, right? Right. What did you make of this Christmas beat? I mean, for me, it's one of those things where they're using this. They're kind of using this like joy of Christmas, essentially. So like kind of be like. All is forgiven. It's the same. It's like it's exactly what New Year's Eve is like, you know, for old acquaintance, be forgot. You know, we forgive everybody at the beginning of every year, you know. So it's sort of this weird beat of like, are we like, is this this guy forgiving himself? Yeah. Is that what that is? Because like, I think you can make the argument that that might be what it is. Was he like, she was a gift and I blew it. But they have that, that shot that I fucking love, right? Where they're sitting on it. either side with the Christmas tree dividing them. Right. So it's almost as if the spirit of Christmas is keeping well, them apart, well, even th- though that's our come together moment. I think that, the, well, I think about like that come together moment. You forgive, like it kind of plays for me. Like you forget, she, he forgives himself. And then it also plays into like when he goes and like digs her up and ca- kind of caresses her face in that one scene. <sighs> that part killed me. And you're just like, Maybe he's finally kind of given up the ghost on this, so to speak. And do you think that literally Christmas thing was maybe um, him kind of reliving parts of their first meeting? Oh yeah, sure. Because there is that mean, cool beat when they're separated by the tree, and he keeps like sneaking a glance at her. I think there's so much of this that's just. I think the whole thing is really this man's just impenetrable fever dream about this woman. Like, yeah. all-consuming guilt is destroyed like like you think about like so he gets back to his house he has tons of like these milk cartons on milk cartons in his in his fridge and then she comes in she cooks that meal that food was not there i don't think the food's even real i think the whole it's the memory of all the meals it's a memory of all the meals together absolutely yes but then that's the thing you cut to those woods right when we see the shallow grave and he's actually like putting the dirt on her with just his hands without the little goofy headlamp and all that. And he uh, he sprinkles the dirt on her face and we just watch it sit on her face with no reaction. And then just her head is exposed and he kind of touches the cheek and it gives you this. Oh, fuck. Like, this is the real dead body. This might be because I thought maybe the post New Year's Eve levitation scene was the real body. This for sure is. And he goes back home. And now again, we're 
that's the first time where the camera turns around and we're shooting him coming in the door. So we're not looking at this big, expansive, insane asylum house where anything could be lurking. And then as we go room to room, it's way above him, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're looking down into the bathtub. There's no unexplored depths of the bathtub. We see the fucking bottom. When he's in the house, he's sitting and we see him through the door, right? There's no, everything's closed off now. The dream is closed off. I fucking love that. I thought it was brilliant. And it's really a cinematic way to show grief of the mistake he made. What fucking sucks is that the finale, he goes in, he burns the trophy. Like, my wife's not a trophy man. I fucked up. I made a big mistake. He lights it on fire. You're like, yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck that little photographer, translator, bitch. Then all of a sudden, he's like, I'm going to jump out the window because I'm a piece of shit. And you're like, yeah, jump out that window. Cosmic justice. Not that, you know, I want people, like, committing suicide, but but I don't harbor a lot of sympathy for this murderer. Right. Then he jumps out and gets to take a fucking Falcor ride on fucking Chicken Dad. Yep. And he doesn't look thrilled, per se. He's more just surprised. It's not like, oh, it's more like, interesting. It's it's a, okay, not to mince words. It's a really stupid image to end the movie on. Well. Because Chicken Dad soaring free, right? Like you said, the unshackled man, right? Now he's just, he is what he is. He exists in the state of a chicken. A flying chicken. That's great. And him soaring through the skies to I will survive by whichever white person made that cover. And seeing the other survive styles, that works for me 100%. If the last thing we see are the two murderers dead. Because <laughs> I don't want the marketing lady to just get to go back to making dumbass commercials. Right. I don't want this jacket drawing Oh, but he has great cheekbones and he's an artist at heart and he regrets it. I don't care that he regrets it. I want him to suffer cosmic punishment, right? Right. And there's a, maybe that's what they're saying, right? Is that that's just how it is, man. Maybe we have to accept it like chicken dad, right? I mean, that's exactly, that's the real, the real capper on the movie is Vinny Jones looks out the window, sees these two assholes doing never ending story. He, picks up a piece of broccoli, looks at it and says, what's your function in life? And that's yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah. But that in and of itself never is what his own function is. Does he? Well, that's exactly what grip. it is. I think that that's like, that is the movie in a nutshell, like that bit right there where he asks broccoli, what this function in life is. I, I nothing could summarize this movie better than that moment because yeah, yeah. Broccoli is whatever you want it to be, man. You could dip it in cheese and make it delicious. You could eat it steamed. You could like, <laughs> There's all these different functions. That broccoli's for, function is to shuffle cheese into my face. But there's, but what I'm saying is there's all these different functions for broccoli. Yeah. Just like there are all these different functions for people. So to ask <laughs> someone for a defining characteristic of what their function is in life is nearly impossible. I don't know if film twi- Twitter's anointed us the fucking film you're, kings yet, but that's you're welcome. Be. You're welcome, film school. I will say this. I sympathize with Vinnie Jones, who's another hateable character. He's a murdering homophobe. But in that moment when he just looks out and he's like, oh, it's my client riding a chicken. And there was a zombie man and a tiger man and a chicken man. And he just kind of is like ready to close that little airplane window and leave Japan in the early 2000s. And just go back to whatever Guy Ritchie movie he's got to roll in. I was like, there was a part of me that was like, I am sad to leave this Japanese month. 
But it has been strange. I felt like Vinny Jones looking out the window and just be like, what the fuck is that? Because that sums up this this month of curations to me. And Survive Absolutely. Style Plus 5 was no different. It's It's got amazingly – and this is the thing. I think Survive Style Plus 5 is undoubtedly the most well-crafted film of the month. Oh, it's, without a doubt. It just has this Sam Raimi-like energy. It's got these beautiful fucking colors. It's got a lot to say, even if I don't know that any of what it says meets up. But like to your point, just just be the chicken, man. Embrace the chicken. It doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I I think this was, and again, I love that Dyson shows this because I think it's really important. Because if you do a film podcast, right, you can write down the five hundred movies that we'll all talk about at some point, right? The movies. I think sometimes it's really good for all of us to fucking flip over these movies. They hide under rocks that maybe slid through cracks, got forgotten. Maybe they're from somewhere where we don't watch a lot of movies. And I think you can learn a lot about what you love about movies by seeing them from such different perspectives. And I don't know if any month we've ever done has had weirder lenses than early 2000s Japan month. I don't think we're even close to seeing movies that are weirder than this. That's it for uh, Survive Style Plus 5. That's it for this month. Uh, a patron curated uh, movies. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, we appreciate your support. We appreciate the selections. All right, guys. Next month, the pod travels in time. So uh, a lot of fun stuff next month, guys. Stay tuned with us. Please go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. Join our community for as little as a dollar a month, guys. All the support means the world to us so anything you can do we would appreciate that and i promise you will earn your dollar go to youtube subscribe to our channel film alchemist pod for video versions of this and some other stuff over there email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show find us on all the socials you're on more than anything thank you for your time we love you we do bye what a month thanks anthony